gathering as worshippers. We've looked over the last, not last, well, three, four weeks at worship in various ways. And I just want to give you a quick reminder of what Simon Gaynor and Steve Jay have said because I feel that's kind of the background to what I want to share this morning um, with you. Simon Gaynor started us thinking about gathering and going as worshippers a few weeks back. And they set up a cycle in our minds using some flashy, I think it was Greek or Latin, about gathering and going. Seeing and singing as uh, we gather in order to then serve and share as we go. That that worships uh, a worship of lifestyle. And in order for that dynamic to happen in our lives, there needs to be this combination of revelation and response. We need to see each time something afresh of who God is that releases life in us to respond to him uh, in worship. And then Steve Jay took on a different tack a couple of weeks back when he talked about drawing close to God and went us through a kind of cycle of recognising the place of sacrifice that God has made for us in order that we in turn can embrace sacrifice in our own worship. The fact that our sin is dealt with, there's no barrier to our worship. Recognising in that there's cost. Cost God has paid to enable us to worship him. Cost that we would pay in embracing that worship ourselves but all that leads to a closeness with God so that's kind of just a quick reminder if you haven't heard either of those talks yet they're online you can fill yourself uh, with that good stuff but as we come to look at worship finally this this kind of three part of this this morning there's a couple of kind of things I want us to get out of the way in our in our heads before uh, we move into the sort of three kind of things I want to touch on today And the first of that is we do need to be absolutely clear that God has dealt with any barriers to us being able to worship him. All right? That we are free to worship because of what God has done in Christ on the cross. And even some Sundays when we arrive feeling like we're in the pit, like the week's gone badly, that hasn't changed who God is. And when we're coming to worship, which we'll bring in a second thing I want to say in a moment, it's about God. It's not about us. We don't come to worship God in the same way to feel better, to have our kind of bad week put right. We gather before God because God is God. Because of everything he is and he has done for us. And we don't need to be focusing on the pit that we're in. We need to be focusing on who God is because he has set us free not he will set us free he has set us free that's the reality of our state each time we gather to worship we need to remind ourselves of that and take the focus off stuff that's going on in our own lives and get it back onto him the other stuff that we need to kind of clear up the way is that our worship is about not us trying to please God right? there's a sense in which we can't please God because he is perfect. He's done everything. Nothing we do in our worship, in that sense, will make God any kind of better or more complete or happier. Because he is, in that sense, already complete. We can't, in any sense, call down favour on God. You know, we don't worship in particular ways or more enthusiastically in order that God will do more for us. And... We may know that, and we'd be sitting there saying, yeah, we know that, that's right, Keith, amen. 
I want to suggest that we still fall into that trap at times of somehow thinking that in some way or another we should be doing our bit to make God feel better and more pleased with us so that actually somehow he'll be nicer to us because we're really trying to be nice people with him. All of that is ultimately the old work stuff that gets us nowhere. In fact, it's kind of an offence to God. And we just need to free ourselves up to recognise that in some amazing way out of his grace, he's done it all. He's the one who's already entered Jesus into the Holy of Holies as our great high priest. He's the one who's made the sacrifice that makes it possible to worship. We can't add anything to that. don't know if it helps you, but it kind of helps me when I think of myself trying to sit in a a skull and trying to row frantically for my effort to get somewhere. When actually, if I get a double skull with some Olympic rower like Steve Redgrave or Matt Pinson, and it's just a joy. I can kind of pretend I'm, 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 I'm sculling away, but actually, they're doing all the work. That's what it is as we come to worship. We're entering in into what God has already done and made possible for us. We do not have to strive in it. He is the one who's going to make it possible for us. And the other subtle thing to get out of our heads is that in some way worship is, I've touched on already, about us uh, helping ourselves, about engaging in some way out of our own self-interest. Worship isn't something we engage in because we enjoy it. And therefore, when we don't enjoy it, we don't want to engage in it. Worship is something we do because of who God is. I said that already, and I may well say it again before we finish this morning. Because if anything, that's the kind of the core thing that I'm just going to be communicating this morning. It's simple, it's basic, but I want to challenge us. I think we all need to remind ourselves of that fact. The focus is on God, on his character, his nature, who he is, what he's done, his acts, not on our feelings. Now there is a tension here because as we worship God, God encounters us and we change and we experience him in some way that does us good. We're going to come to that later. That, that is this, that's the downside of it. But if all our focus is about what me and what I'm getting out of this worship, then we've, we've missed it entirely. And, and that is just kind of going off on a side and a, a touch of a personal, not much hobby horse, just a sort of thing I struggle with in worship is there have been seasons in the kind of songwriting life of, of, of our kind of worship as, as a church over the years where we've had a number of these kind of me-centred songs. Personally, I find them incredibly unhelpful because they make me feel about me and how I'm feeling. When actually the songs that sing, as we've done this morning, as Josh has led us, that are about the God of love, you know, the Father of Lights, the Saviour, the Redeemer, whatever the, the phrasing of the song is, but that are God-focused, that just helps me. Uh, the personal sort of, you know, do what you like with that, but I just find those personal sort of me-centred songs that are asking God to bless me and keep me at the centre don't actually help me get this focus on who he is. They don't help me deal with that self-interest thing. Okay, so let's, let's get to, to where we want to get to, just in terms of 
Three things that I felt quite simply this morning got underlined was what our worship was going to be about and what ought to be happening when we gather together. The first of those is that it's going to involve expression. Worship is an expressive activity. We can't, I don't think God ever intended or created us to worship as kind of lumps of, of solid rock, wood or whatever. We're people, we're, we're animate beings, and God has designed us to be expressive in that worship. And that expression takes a whole strand of things to it, I just want to touch on briefly. First and foremost, our worship is about an expression of value we place on God. And that's an attitude thing, first and foremost. The way that we honour Father as God... The inner reality of what God has done in us, who we are in Christ, that is a spiritual thing. Worship is a spiritual thing as we express that. It finds outward expression in what we do, but it flows from that inner reality of, who, of what God has done in us, in changing us and going on changing us into the likeness of his Son. The focus is on God, as I keep saying, not on ourselves. Second element, I think, of this expression, Steve has touched on the other week, is this whole thing of sacrifice. First and foremost, it's an expression of the recognition that we worship because of the sacrifice Christ has made for us. But there is also, uh, just to remind you of that uh, verse in, in Romans 12, our response that is embracing sacrifice too. Paul's encouragement. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. But in some way, our worship should be embracing sacrifice towards us. Remembering, as I've said, not because in some way we think we're doing God a favour, simply because we're embracing the fact that we're actually, it isn't about us. The sacrifice, I think, is that sense of a death to ourselves and an openness to who God is. Thirdly, that I believe is an expression of closeness, of intimacy. Worship should be expressed in the close fellowship that we have with the Father and that he longs to have with us. And I think... It takes on a different dynamic when we do it together. There is worship that we enjoy individually with God because we each have the privilege of having a relationship with God in which we can worship him. But there's something that kind of goes up several gears when we actually gather together to worship him. Something which we experience in the context of family whereby the Father draws near to us in ways that I think are are just different and sometimes greater, sometimes stronger than when we're just on our own. Which is why corporate worship is so important to us. But there should be that sense of intimacy and closeness that we experience in that. Fourthly, it's an expression of praise. It's our privilege to proclaim as heralds the excellencies of God, as Peter puts it in one of his letters. To advertise those excellences, if you like, to kind of put them in headlines, 
to, to, to throw them out there. Two, in the first place, the, the heavenly places, because worship is a spiritual thing. Um, but also to one another and to anyone who's around to hear. And that expression of praise, again, is a choice that we make based on who God is, how, not how we feel. And I really don't believe it can be a spectator sport. If worship is God-focused, then as we're seeing something of who God is, there should be a whole richness and breadth and depth that comes into our worship as a result. We've just been meeting this last week, a number of us with the... as those who are involved in leading worship here, and, and Steve and I as, as kind of people who lead meetings from time to time, just looking afresh at the whole thing of, of our worship. Have we got stuck in a kind of sameness, a blandness, that actually there's more? I think there is more. I think there is far more in richness and breadth and depth that God wants to open up to us. And... I really believe that the season we're about to go into, where we're going to be saying goodbye to Simon and Gainer, saying goodbye to Russ, uh, Paul Hepburn, and others who've led our worship, actually is not an oh dear, but an oh wow. It's, a, it's an opportunity, I believe, of something new that God wants to do and release amongst all the deposit that's been sown in from people like Simon and Gaines into sort of enriching and deepening our worship. I believe it's given us a foundation that God wants us now to grow in together and expand and explore together. I think there is loads more that God has for us. There's a kind of holistic breadth to our worship that I think we have yet to, to fully experience. All the gifts and talents that we find you know, in song, in dance, through the arts, in, in, in visual matters. And different ones of us will kind of Engage with that in different ways because God's made us different. He's more, you know, we have different talents and gifts. And I believe all of that needs to somehow find ways of being expressed as we come together. We can do everything every week. But as you look at the totality of our encounters with God, we should be experiencing and expressing something of that, I believe. Um, I really just want to encourage all of us. If we've kind of got stuck, I remember you know, years back when I first sort of came into a church like ours here uh, where comes this, this life in this which is being expressed being taught very simply and encouraged very simply to let kind of the whole of my being get engaged in worship I do not have great coordination gifts I, I do know that you know, don't ask me to do these kind of clever song things you know, you'll see everybody doing this wonderful stuff and I'll be all over the place don't, don't look to me to be the role model for it. But I can't stand there on a Sunday morning and just, you know, do the rigor mortis bit. God, I love you. It doesn't quite work for me. You know, I've got to find some way of trying to engage who I am with who God is. And if you're not used to sort of using the bits of your body in worship other than your voice, can I encourage you to sort of experiment a bit, you know, you may think it's a bit public. Okay, well, do it at home. Enjoy exploring at home first. Get, get to feel comfortable with expressing something. 
But uh, there is something about the combination of, of the physicality and the voice bit that yeah. does us good. Yeah. You know, I mean, just try it, you know. Try singing like that, and then try singing like that. And somehow I think I feel different when I'm kind of a bit more animated, you know? Um, I just want to encourage all of us to sort of not let the how we're feeling trap us. Yeah. Yeah. The number, you know, what, three Sundays out of four, five out of six, I don't know. I might well arrive here in some way thinking, you know, oh, it's worship again. And I can give in to that. And I'm not talking about self-effort, I'm just about embracing realities. The reality of who God is, I'm going to keep saying it, because if I look at who God is and what he's done for me and the truth of all of that, yeah. it changes something. Yeah? yeah. So, so let's, let's, get, let's explore ways together about our worship being more holistic, about being complete, about being uh, a full expression of all that we are and that God's given us gifts to be back to him as our sacrifice of praise and worship back to him. And all of that should add up finally in this expression section to an expression of lifestyle. That our worship then becomes something that is a 24-7 thing. And all around giving of ourselves to God. That's an attitude of heart and mind and a posture of our spirits that says that actually everything we're seeking to do is intended to glorify and honour him. Expression. Second, encounter. I've done a mic moment this morning for you. Three E's. It's good. Um, Worship is about encounter. It's about God encountering us. First and foremost, it's that way round. It's not about us trying to encounter God. It's about the fact that God is already there and wants to encounter us. And that, I think, that encounter is therefore an encounter of God's grace. It's a celebration of the fact that we're recipients of his grace. That our very act of worshipping God is only possible because of his grace to us. God had not done all he had done for us and continues to go on doing for us. We could come and gather together and sing songs and we'll be no different to a bunch of guys at a rugby match or a football match singing songs. There will be nothing worshipful about it. It is worship because we are entering into something that God has already done for us and made possible for us. And we need to remember that. that We're not singing songs to try and wake God up or anything like that. We're... We're entering into what's already going on. There is already 24-7 worship going on around the throne. And they're probably making a better job of it than we are, but we've got the privilege of trying to join into that and add to that. So every time we gather, let's remind ourselves in some way that that is the reality and we're seeking to join into that because of his grace. It's also the place we encounter God's presence. We haven't looked at the Bible too much this morning. We're going to do that now. Um, I'll read two verses. Meanwhile, you might want to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, which we're going to look at together uh, just briefly. But prior to Isaiah 6, there are two other occasions when God powerfully, as recorded in Scripture, encountered his people when they were gathered in the context of worship. Plenty of stories of God encountering his people, but in the context of worship, first one that, uh, that I want us to refer to as to is 
right at the end of Exodus, and Moses has been instructed to set up the tabernacle. Loads of preparations gone into all that. The people have gathered together in the temple, and God turns up. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God encountered his people in the context of worship right at the outset, significantly to, to mark the significance of the tabernacle and what it's going to be as a place of meeting God. But uh, you know, it's, just, it's right there for us. God encountering his people, the tent of meeting filled with the glory of the Lord. And then the same thing happened when Solomon dedicated the temple. 1 Kings 8 and verse 11. Back to verse 10. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. And I personally have not experienced the presence of God like that in that sense of a visible manifestation, the presence of God. But I don't know what barred those priests from going in, whether it was kind of the bright light and power filling the place, or whether it was more like a sort of a weight, a force field of God's presence that stopped them entering in. But I think I've known times when there's been like a weight of God's presence around, and the safest place to be is on the floor. Because that way you don't get knocked over, if you see what I mean. And there is, of course, this whole link in, in the Hebrew, in the scriptures, between glory and weight. That the glory of God's presence can be read as the weight of God's presence. And those times when, and I think we do know those times, when in a particular way, God and his grace comes to us in greater measure. And we, f- we sense the presence of God around in ways that is tangible. And the kind of weight of his presence... We want to respond by saying, God, you know, we just want to fall prostrate in your presence because you are a holy God. I'm going to acknowledge that you are here. May God give us more of those times. So let's go to Isaiah 6. Familiar verses, I'm sure, to many of us, but wonderful stuff. Let's read it again. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. 
And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go. A story of profound encounter. Now, going into a whole kind of preach about the context with the, in the significance of King Uzziah dying in a nation in, in despair because the great and wonderful leader had gone. But that is the background. That, that's Isaiah. And I don't know, I presume, we kind of presume that he actually was in the temple. And in that context, he sees this vision. So I'm, I'm kind of applying that sense of context of being in a kind of context of worship. He encounters God. And that encounter does two things. It convicts him of his sin. And it commissions him for his future. Now, the beauty we have is that when we come together, we don't need to expect to kind of fear God in the same way. No, in quite the same way as Isaiah, we now need to be crying, I am ruined. Because we've discovered that actually God's already dealt with that for us. But there's been a time in our lives when we've known we were ruined. And that our response has been to say, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I've seen that you are God and you are holy and I need you. But having had that experience, when God will come together for us, we don't need to fear because we know that we are able to stand before him in righteousness because of what he's done for us. But we do need to recognise that he is still the one who is king, who is holy, who is mighty. And posture ourselves accordingly. But the beauty out of that encounter is that this great change happens to Isaiah. And a guy who thinks he's nothing becomes a guy who God commissions with an incredible prophetic ministry. Not an easy prophetic ministry, but an incredible one nonetheless. He becomes a changed man, a transformed man, a commissioned man out of that encounter with God. Encountering God does change us. What I, want to, what I want to say this morning, again, is that truth of that statement. When we come down this morning, as you go out from here this morning, you may not feel any different to how you came in. Trust it, in some sense, you might feel different. But I want to say to you, you are different. Because you've come into a place this morning where corporately we have gathered before God, we've worshipped God, and the presence of God has been here to encounter us. Therefore, transformation has taken place. We are being changed from one degree of likeness to another into the image of Christ. It may, it may not be a complete life-changing encounter like Isaiah had when we come together on a Sunday morning, but it's a place of encounter and it's a place of transformation. And I want to kind of encourage us to take that faith stance that as we meet with God, he is in some way doing something afresh. Some of it may be redemptive, I undoing stuff that has gone on and repositioning us rightly in how we see ourselves and how we see God. Some of it will be further equipping and releasing. But it's a place of encounter and it's a place of transformation.
Let's make sure that as that happens, we're open to encountering God in the fullness of all he is. Isaiah sees God in this complete and total way that in one sense, in a right sense, devastates him. But let's be sure that we're open to that too. To worship truth means that we love God as he truly is, a God of love, of mercy, of faithfulness, but also a God of righteousness, holiness, judgment, and occasional anger. As the writer of the Hebrews puts it, let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's only the grace of God that enables us to worship him. We have freedom to enter his presence because of his grace. But let's be aware of taking that grace for granted and not quenching the spirit. Let's remember to worship with reverence and with awe. But God wants to encounter us to bring transformation to us. And he also wants to encounter us with his word. Leaping across the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Again, probably some familiar verses, but ones I think are important when I think about worship together. What shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, one or two... That most, sorry, if one speaks in a tongue, two or most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the other should weigh carefully what's said. If a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first should stop. For you can all prophesy in turns, that everyone will be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Let me take you back to verse 26. When you come together, everyone has a... The old AV version of it, they used to talk about everyone hatha. Um, there was this sort of phrase and being banned around. You know, when you come together, have you brought your hatha? I've been largely talking this morning, because in this context of us together on Sunday morning, about Sunday mornings. But let's remember that we gather together all sorts of configurations of people together and in that context we find ourselves giving time to worship God. And in any context where we come together, let's remember this encouragement that we all come together with something to contribute. Everyone has a hatha. Now on a Sunday morning there's a practical challenge to that because a congregation of sort of something like you know, 200 people we haven't got room for 200 individual contributions to be shared one after the other, but then the scriptures don't encourage that either, because they talk about two or three tongues and two or three prophecies. Paul was recognising the importance of order that God was giving him. But the challenge is that not the two or three of you have got it, make sure you turn up that morning with it, but everyone has it. And the, the provocation, the challenge to all of us is when we come together on a Sunday morning... Are we prepared to be the one who has the contribution that morning that is going to be the important part of what God wants to say and do among us? And it's not just prophecy. Remind yourself of the list. Got a hymn, a song, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, 
At that point, prophetic is not specifically mentioned. I would add in prayer into that particular or testimony. Something that would do us all good. Let's never turn up just being spectators. Let's arrive having asked God and being willing to let God use us to bring our hatha. And finally, an encountering we encounter together. <coughs> Scripture encourages and underlines to us the importance of meeting together. Psalm 42 and verse 4. 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 20. Hebrews 10, verse 25. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. Yeah, we can enjoy our relationship individually with God, but there's something that I've said already about worshipping together, the corporate that God is interested in encountering us in. And we neglect that at our peril. Just to keep underlining the point that Steve and I often make from the front, and then also help those guys leading worship on a Sunday morning. Can I just sort of say that if gathering together is important, how we gather together is important. I've already mentioned the kind of coming prepared in the sense of being coming prepared to contribute. Do we value worship enough and see the importance of our worshipping together enough that we're here to maximise that opportunity in worship? Or have we got into just the habit of, well, you know, I can kind of drift in at some point and pick up the singing and that's fine. If our time of worship is about encountering God, then shouldn't we be kind of maximising and making that work for all of us? And if it's about all of us doing it together, then don't we need to be doing it all of us together? i.e. don't we need to be here when we're going to start together so we're all in it together from the beginning and growing in it together rather than being a gathering that gets there by 11 o'clock because by 11 o'clock everybody's arrived. Work that out as it applies for you but I just sense there's a challenge here that's not just us trying to tidy and make life easy for us. It's actually about our attitude to worship and being together that I would suggest might need reflecting on there. Let's start to wrap it all up, because that leads me to our number three, which is empowering. We talked about encountering God, and I've underlined the fact that we're changed in that encounter. We're changed in that encounter because God wants to empower us. Worship is God's key means of effecting spiritual transformation in our lives. It's a change that comes as we give ourselves to God. I mentioned that already this morning, I'm just underlining that. Through the realigning process, the softening process that goes on as we worship, God reveals something of the states of our hearts, something of the greatness of his love, something of his grace. It's an encounter of renewal. That might involve conviction, it might involve envisioning and fresh revelation. But it's an encounter that in some way changes us in order that we can go out different to how we came in as carriers of his glory. Because as we come into the presence of God and enjoy being in the presence of God, God himself encounters us, fills us afresh with his spirit, 
which means that we then, by implication, become carriers of his glory. If the Spirit of God comes in us, the presence of God comes in us, the life of God comes in us, we are carrying the very nature of God. We're carrying the glory of God. We're God carriers. And we go out of here as God carriers better than when, to do so than when we came in. As the NLT version of 2 Corinthians 3.18 puts it, we then reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. That's the process. That's what we carry with us. That's what we reflect into the world around us. We've got time to do that this morning. To just enjoy again being in the presence of God, opening ourselves up to him, expressing encountering and finding empowerment. Let's do it.